Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of How Not to Die by Michael Greger and Gene Stone. Discover the food scientifically proven to prevent and reverse disease. Man, this is a better launch month type of book. <laughs> we started 2023 with you're going to die and if your kid dies, you've got 11 days and get over it. <laughs> like, yeah. It was a bit of a rough start. It was a bit all over the shop. Normally, we'd start the year with, you know, how do you get your health better? How do you get your personal finances better? We're onto that now. We're back. We're back. <laughs> We're back. We're back. And how not to die. It's very practical about how not to die. <laughs> That's and right. have to worry about that 11-day <laughs> day rule by the sad man. After, it's not uh, a good rule. After the, the episode saying everyone's going to die, now we're saying here's how not to die. That's it. <laughs> and it all started with Michael's grandmother. He was a kid when the doctors sent her home in a wheelchair to die. She was diagnosed with end-stage heart disease. She had a whole bunch of bypasses operations already, and they, essentially the surgeon said, look, I'm out of plumbing. You know, I've made all these bypasses. There's nothing more to bypass. It's just, yeah. that's it. You're done. There's so much scarring from all these open-heart surgeries that you know, we, there's nothing more we can do. So really, she was confined to a wheelchair. She had crushing chest pain. Her, her doctors told her, look, there's nothing you can do. Your life's over. It's age 65. And he says that this is kind of what sparks a lot of people to become doctors. You know, a loved one seeing this death that there's nothing you can do about it. And that kind of sparks you into becoming a doctor to try to fix it. He said his was the opposite. He said that his spark to become a doctor was watching his grandmother actually get better. Yeah, the grandmother was given a medical death sentence at the age of 65, but thanks to a healthy diet and lifestyle, she was able to enjoy another 31 years on this earth with her six grandchildren. That's huge. So the woman, you know, one day told by the doctors, you only got weeks to go, grandma, um, to the point where she didn't die until she was 96. Totally remarkable story from her. That's it. They went to this uh, center, new center in California because someone had discovered, look, most doctors are saying heart disease, that's it, you're done. But this new person said, you know what? We can actually reverse heart disease. And what she did, they wheeled her in on the wheelchair. She had uh, a plant-based diet, ate a whole bunch of veggies. There was a graded exercise regime to build up a bit of strength. And then you know, a couple of weeks later, she walks out of that center, uh, having gone in on the wheelchair, and gets another 31 years after they said, no, you're done. Dang, and she geez. gets 31 years. Geez, that's a big deal. You pay that lad a lot of money, but <laughs> as we'll soon find, it doesn't really work like that. Um, because all sorts of good shit are happening. There's new fields of study that's happened and machines and tests and all proving the same thing. And that is a changes in diet and lifestyle can prevent and reverse heart disease, which is the biggest killer in the Western world. Having said that, the medical practice has hardly changed. Yeah. And there's a big question as you know, all these you know researchers and all these studies have found that you can, if you do the right things, you can reverse this thing that is normally a death sentence. But he's saying that doctors aren't really changing the way they do their thing. He said they're still prescribing drugs, they're still doing all this surgery, you know, they're still leading people to these early deaths. And big doc, what's his name? Doc Gregor. Yeah. He's great. saying, Well, what's what's going on here? He says it's like a the medical industry goes on a fee-for-service model in which you get paid for the pills and procedures that you prescribe, uh, rewarding quantity and quality. And if you're getting paid for pills, you're not going to be trying to um, incentivize to treat the root causes of whatever the issues might be. And instead of getting paid for performance, uh, it'd be better if there was a financial incentive to actually get to the lifestyle causes of disease in the first place. That's it. I know Derek Sivers has got a, a TED Talk, a three-minute one, weird or just different where in, uh, in some place in China, the doctors, you pay the doctor every month that they keep you healthy. If you get sick, then you don't serious? pay them that month. It's their job to keep you healthy. Whereas obviously in the US and in Australia and, and a lot of other places around the world, you go to the doctor when you're sick. You pay yeah. them when you're sick. And so obviously their fee for service is saying, 
the more people that they see as quickly as possible and they say, here, take this drug, here, take this as quickly as possible, that's how they make their money. Whereas Dr. Greg is saying they're not incentivized to take 10, 12, 15 minutes to say, what are you eating? What are you exercising? How can we actually do this better? Instead of taking this drug, why don't you try three months of upping the broccoli for a bit and decreasing the bacon for a bit? Uh, he says it's all just, here, take this pill. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I was actually blown away once when I asked, once with doctor and they said, drink more orange juice. I'm like, I was, almost fell out of my seat. There's not many like that. Um, and he was, because he was onto this early, seeing what happened to his grandma and being inspired by wanting to go in the medical profession. So he went to medical schools and he was disappointed because not a single curriculum had a single dedicated course on nutrition yeah. out of all of them. It's bizarre. That's it. And he says in his whole uh, life as a patient before this point, he said there was only one doctor that ever asked about a family member's diet, you know, out of all his, his brothers and sisters, his parents, his grandparents, nobody ever asked about their diet. The only person that did ask about the diet was the vet. <laughs> the vet said, what's your dog eating? <laughs> a doctor actually never asked him, only the vet did. Oh, God, that's insane, isn't it? So during his medical training, he was, he was a bit of a weapon in his classes was constantly offered countless steak dinners from fancy perks from the big farmer representative just trying to rub up his legs. Not once did big broccoli give him the call and say, Hey, let's go out for a let's go out for a vegan dinner. <laughs> there was no big sweet potato calling, it was only big farmer who just wanted to peddle their drugs. And of course, because that's where all the money is, you know, huge corporate budgets, you know, big advertising campaigns, you'll see all these new drugs. Wonder pills pop up and this can cure this and this can cure this, uh, because that's where all the profit is. So the question haunted him during all of his training, if the cure to our number one killer could get lost down the rabbit hole and isn't figured out, what else might be buried in the, the medical literature that hasn't been unearthed? And this is what he spent his whole entire life's calling and mission to try and figure out. He reckons there's really no such thing as dying from old age. And there was a study of more than 42,000 autopsies of centenarians, people who died past 100. And the autopsy didn't come back and say, oh, this person died because they're old. The autopsy always came back with something. Most of the time it was a, you know, a heart attack or you know, some uh, lung disease that had built up and clogged something up. or There was always some kind of disease that killed them. They didn't just die because they were old, they died because of something. And what he's saying is that most of these somethings are preventable and often preventable through diet and exercise. Uh, but unfortunately, most people are just saying, here, take this pill instead. So the mortality in the US probably can be extrapolated to those in the Western world. You could, uh, it wouldn't be hard to argue. Number one, Coronary heart disease, 375,000 annual deaths. Number two, lung disease, 296,000 deaths. Number three, you'll be surprised. We'll cover that later. Number four, brain diseases, 214,000 deaths. Um, and number five, digestive cancers, which is 106,000 deaths. That's a lot of deaths. Uh, and what he's saying is that today, often... In Americans and most around the world, we're living longer than generations ago, but we're not necessarily living healthier. We've just got pills to progress us and keep us going, even though it might be like the grandmother in the wheelchair who can't really do much. But what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to go through Big Greg Man's decades of research and studies and all the things that he's dug around to find how can we prevent those top killers from killing us and what can we actually do about it. Imagine if... Some terrorists rocked up and they created a bioagent that spread mercilessly, claiming the lives of 400,000 Americans every year. It's the equivalent of one person dying every 83 seconds, every hour, every around the clock, year after year. This would be the front page news all day, every day. 
everyone would be shitting themselves. You'd marshal the army and the finals medical minds to find a room to figure out what the hell is going on with this plague. Um, in short, you would not stop at nothing until these terrorists were stopped. Fortunately, there are no terrorists that have created any bioweapons to kill 400,000 people every single year in America. And he's saying that, you know, we're not actually losing hundreds of thousands of people to some kind of preventable death, are we? He says, well, actually we are. It's not a biological weapon, some kind of germ or bacteria that's been released. It's just heart disease, just from eating the wrong shit and the heart gets clogged up, but like his grandmother, and they say, okay, that's it, you're done. Well, that's a biological terrorist, mate, and the laboratory to fix this is simply just the grocery stores, kitchens, and dining rooms. How good. A simple fork will do. We don't need vaccines and antibiotics. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward to fix. What he says, the top uh, America's number one killer, and you know, in the Western world, number one killer, fatty deposits in the walls of your arteries. So it's, it's this uh, arthroscler- <laughs> atherosclerotic plaque. Yeah. We might stick with plaque from now on. Plaque. <laughs> I like the word plaque. For most like, Americans, like yeah, oh, yeah. For most Americans raised on a conventional diet, this plaque accumulates inside the coronary arteries, the blood vessels that sort of crown the heart. And you know, the whole point of it is to supply oxygen-rich blood. The doc who was talking to the grandmother earlier was had the analogy of plumbing, which I think is pertinent here. You got plumbing that's going in and out of your heart, and oxygen trying to be pumped through. If you clog it up, things get clogged up all the sound <laughs> right. and then it just all stops that's right and it, it's it's a process that really occurs over over decades it's not like getting hit by a car and that's it it's a, a gradual build-up the plaque builds up and builds up and builds up in your little arteries and then eventually that means the path for the blood to flow through gets narrower and narrower and narrower so this restriction of the blood circulation leads to the Obviously, the heart muscle has to work a hell of a lot harder. That's where you get the chest pain. That's where you get the pressure. That's where you get the angina, not mangina, the angina. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and that's when you know people try to exert themselves and all of a sudden their, their chest starts to hurt. It's because they've got all this plaque built up. Yeah, so I think when you, most people think of heart disease, you think of someone who's having shortness of breath or chest pain and, and then finally that just kept growing and growing into the point the day they, they stopped. Um, doesn't really work like that, does it? That's right. You know, you just think, oh, someone has a heart attack and there's this sudden cardiac arrest and when the heart attack just stops, but it actually happened years or decades earlier and it's been building up to that point. The unfortunate thing about all this is like you can't, you're not really given the warning signs up front. It's something that can happen with like very sudden uh, sudden death after the first symptoms that come across and you might not even realize you're at risk till it's too late. That's pretty frightening, man, to think that you're not going to get the warning mm. because one hour, bang, you get the warnings and then an hour later, you're done. That's it. You're perfectly fine until you're not. I remember one of my um, uh, mate's dads, you know, I'm Kalen, Kalen's dad. Yeah. I remember he was just driving to work one day and he, he reckons he felt like something was not something quite right. And he, he was lucky he was driving past the hospital. He went in and he's like, oh, I think something's wrong. And then they're like, like, then he had a heart attack Oof. and he was in there for a while to get fixed up. But he was one of the lucky ones. Normally, as you say, nothing's going to happen. There's going to be build up for 10 years, but you're going to feel fine. And then just one day, within an hour, you're no longer fine. Yeah, you don't want that. In 1953, there was a, a study by the American Medical Association, which really changed our understanding of the development of heart disease. They looked at 300 autopsies on American casualties in the Korean War um, with an average age of around 22, so very young people. And they found that 77% of soldiers at just the age of 22 on average had visible evidence of 
uh, the coron- coronary plaque, we'll call it. <laughs> the plaque, that's it. Some even had arteries that were blocked off 90% or more. So think of your plumbing at 22, the plumbing's blocked yeah. off by 90%. There's only little gaps to, for it all to flow through. That's wild. They then later did some more studies um, of accidental death victims aged between 3 and 26. Obviously, they're not just cutting people open and testing them out. But they found that these little fatty streaks, the uh, the plaque we're talking about, started as early as age 10. So that means, you know, things are already happening. So from the age of 10, this stuff's building up. You're not going to have a heart attack till you're 50, 60, 70, but it started back at age 10. And so what he's saying, if anyone who's listening to this, if you're age 10 years or older, the question is not, you know, how can I prevent this from happening? It's saying it's already happened. So how can you reverse it? That's it. Everyone's well, walking around with some kind of plaque built up already. The plaque is just going through the roof on everybody. Fortunately, heart disease is reversible. Now, this is the best kept secret in medicine. You're given the right conditions. If you just let your body heal itself, it's going to find its way to heal itself in pretty mm. much every circumstance. He says, you know, you whack your shit on the coffee table, it hurts like shit, but you get a bit red, it gets a bit swollen, it's going to be painful. But over a day or two, this pain, this swelling, this redness, this is actually a body going to work to magically fix itself mm. uh, and your shin's going to get better. Now, the problem is if you whack yourself on that same shin every single day, you keep running into the coffee table every time you stand up, it's never going to get better. So he's saying the equivalent here is like, you know, you're eating the wrong foods for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Your body never has that opportunity to heal itself because you keep punishing it. Your body wants to be healthy. Every night, for example, if you're a smoker, you have ciggies the night before, you fall asleep, the healing process starts whilst you're sleeping and then bam, you wake up, you light another ciggy and then you're you're going back downhill again. But just like a smoker injures her lungs with every single puff, most of us who aren't eating the right way re-injure our arteries with every bite and then we go back to sleep and our body tries to heal itself. Then you wake up and just smack a bacon and eggs down the gob <laughs> like I did this morning. <laughs> this is a real wake-up call this book, I'm not going to lie. That's right. So really what he's saying is we can choose to keep chomping down on the bacon and eggs and uh, the sausages and whatever else is causing these plaque buildups or you can choose to stop damaging yourself, get out of your own way, let your body's natural healing processes bring you back towards health. So the number one risk factor for death in the world identified through the studies the great man's made is high blood pressure, also known as hypertension. Um, and high blood pressure lays waste to 9 million people worldwide every year. And that's because you know this risk factor you mentioned, it really contributes to all sorts of diseases, aneurysms, heart attacks, heart failure, kidney failure, stroke, all these things are brought about generally because of high blood pressure. You know, an increased blood pressure puts a strain on the heart, can damage sensitive blood vessels in your eyes, in your kidneys. It can cause bleeding in the brain. It can lead to certain uh, arteries to either balloon or even to rupture. So really this high blood pressure, it's putting a big strain on your system all the time. Now, in the 1920s, there was some really interesting researchers that looked at the blood pressure of a 1,000 native Kenyans who ate a low-sodium diet centered around whole plant foods, whole grains, beans, fruit, dark leafy greens, and other vegetables. And then they compared them to the Europeans and, and Americans as a, as a uh, sample group. What they found was up until about age 40, everyone was pretty similar. The Kenyans, the Europeans, the Americans, everyone had that healthy blood pressure around 120 or 125 over 80. But the thing is, as Westerners aged, their blood pressure went up. But when Kenyans aged, it went down. So the Westerners, we're talking, they had hypertensive blood pressure getting up to 140 over 90, whereas the Kenyans, they went down to like 110 over 70. It's a huge difference there, man. 
140 over 90 versus 110 over 70. So obviously the big difference between the two is diet. Um, it's quite simply the diet is the only major difference there. And that means high blood pressure then appears to be a choice. We can choose to be eating the artery bursting Western diet or we can choose to take off the, the pressure quite literally. <laughs> That's right. And the eliminating this primary risk factor for death, all the ones you just mentioned before, Ash Joe, it's pretty simple. You don't need drugs, scalpels. Again, you just need forks. He says that in the US, there's nearly 78 million people with high blood pressure. So that's about one in three. And obviously, the older you get, the higher your blood pressure gets. But he says the two most prominent dietary risks for this, death and disability from high blood pressure, he says one is not eating enough fruit and the other big one is eating too much salt. Salt? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I remember I used to not have enough salt because um, I once fainted because it didn't pump the blood up to my my. So now probably since then, about 20 years ago, I've gone overdone it the other way thinking I need to eat more salt because I might have gone. One time you fainted 20 years ago, so like yeah, load the salt load up. Load up the salt and it's probably not working anymore. So salt is a compound, 40% sodium, 60% chloride. It's an essential nutrient as I found out, but vegetables and natural foods provide the small amounts of sodium that you really need in your diet. You know, the new diet that we're on, we just <laughs> load it up on everything. It just goes a little bit over the top. That's right. Too much salt, too much sodium, it means uh, your body retains a lot more water. And because you've got a lot more fluid running around, then there's a lot of just more pressure. Like you turn the tap on a bit higher, there's more stuff flowing through, then the pressure is going to go up. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. So quite simply, um, we can get over this salt habit we've got. You know, three simple things. Just don't add salt at the table. I know every uh, we've got salt and pepper crackers on on the table. I think most people do. And he says that most people they don't taste their food to see if it needs salt. They just put salt on. Just mm. assume and just always put salt on. And I, remember, I watched it. I got into big into cooking last year, obviously. And it, there was a, a Netflix salt, fat, acid, heat, mm. and a, the equivalent uh, cookbook. Mate, she uses so much fucking salt. Oh, yeah. Mate, I remember that she when she was making pasta, and they were like salt the water. And I never used to do it. And then, like, I thought oh, I'd crack a bit of salt in there. Mate, she was taking but like handfuls <laughs> and dumping it in the water. Jesus. I reckon her blood pressure must be pretty fucking yeah, high. There's, a lot, the of, of salt she's there's a lot of fluid just being <laughs> clogged up in that body over there. But so he says first, don't add salt to the table. And second, stop adding salt when cooking. And uh, a lot of cookbooks, and Tim Ferriss as well, you know, everything is like salt. step two season the, you know, add salt and pepper. Um, as, so he says it's, it's a bit of a risk, but he says it after a couple of weeks, you might realize that you don't need it to be so salty. He says there's a whole bunch of different flavors, you know, onions, garlic, tomatoes, basil, parsley, thyme, celery, chili powder, rosemary, smoked paprika, lemon, all these different things that you can use as flavor enhancers instead of just cranking up the salt. Yeah, I like it. And third and finally, do what you can to avoid processed foods. It's probably across the board. Don't have your sausage roll and your McCain's pie. A lot of salt in, in that. Lo- loads of salt in <laughs> yeah. processed food. So that's how not to die from high blood pressure is cut back that salt big time. Now, let's look at, uh, we spoke about the number one killer was heart disease in the US. Now, the number two killer is lung disease. And again, it's reversible. You don't have to die from it. So, we're looking at 300,000 deaths per year. Another terrorist, I'm sure that we'd all just uh, do a lot to, to finish. And unlike heart disease, which is yet to be fully acknowledged as the direct result of artery clogging diet, which we haven't really come to terms with really, there is a widespread recognition that tobacco is by far the most common cause of lung cancer. That's it. They're saying that when it comes to lung cancer, 90% of those can be attributed to smoking tobacco directly. So men who smoke are 23 times more likely to develop lung cancer. Women who smoke are 13 times more likely to develop lung cancer than non-smokers. 
yeah, it's a big number there. So it's obviously about smoking. I was a smoker. I was a pack a day or more smoking. I came across the easy way to stop smoking if people mm. are new to this uh, podcast. Um, and we did an episode on it all the way back in season two, episode 107, the easy way to stop smoking. Now, if you are a smoker and you want to smoke, don't try any other way unless you buy that book because it'll make it the easiest thing you've ever done rather than dreading how to how to quit. You'll actually enjoy the whole process and that's mm. really a promise. Um, so big challenge, go out there and you're going to really get rid of a major risk factor on how not to die. Now, there's another interesting one here that he says, obviously, if you're a smoker, the best thing you can do to prevent lung disease is to stop smoking. And then if you if you're not a smoker, uh, there's still a risk of, of lung disease. And he says there's one interesting thing that you can increase your intake of to help prevent that. Broccoli. Broccoli. Broccoli, mate. Who, who would have thought? Um, <laughs> and tobacco obviously has all these chemicals that weaken the body's immune system. Um, and we want our immune system to be strong against some of these chemicals. And turns out broccoli is the one that actually can clean up all that, that crap that's flying around your cells. What they did, another scientist tested this on a bunch of chronic smokers. They rounded up a bunch of smokers and they forced them to eat 25 times more broccoli than the average American. That sounds like a lot, but they said all that is is one stalk a day. <laughs> so I guess is that a average, gag or literally? I think it's literally. I think he's saying Jesus. the average American's eating on average one stalk every 25 days. These were these guys were eating one stalk a day, and so <laughs> it's not much broccoli. <laughs> it's not a lot. He said it's one mouthful. And he's saying compared to the smokers that didn't eat broccoli. The ones who had that one stalk of broccoli a day, they suffered 41% fewer DNA mutations in their bloodstream in just 10 days. That's insane. 41% just, just from, from a stalk a day of brock. <laughs> That's God, man. So, uh, broccoli eaters have sin- significantly less damage. Um, so, suggesting eating vegetables like broccoli to be more resilient at the subcellular level. So, a big deal with the broccoli. Yeah, the broccoli gets down and dirty, gets right into the cells and fixes DNA mutations. It's crazy. So what we looked at there was how not to die from lung disease and obviously you're a smoker, stop smoking. Yeah. If you don't want to stop smoking or if you have smoking <laughs> and want to uh, re- reduce the risk further, load up on the old brock. Now let's look at brain disease. There's a whole bunch of different brain diseases here. Let's talk specifically about stroke. Uh, in about 90% of strokes, what happens is the blood flow to a specific part of the brain gets cut off, which means it's deprived of oxygen, and really then it, it kills that part of the brain. It's just this ischemic, 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 ischemic <laughs> stroke. Me, we'll mate. just go with stroke. stroke. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's a stroke. Now, people who've experienced a brief stroke, you might not only contend with arm or leg weakness, but if you have a major stroke, it's bigger issue. So you might have paralysis or lose the ability to speak, and sometimes some people might uh, actually die. He says there are a lot of mini strokes that happen all the time without you even noticing. And then, as you say, there's, there's those big ones as well that, that will happen. What he says is there's one thing to really cut our risk of stroke in half, and that's to bump up the fiber intake. So increasing fiber by just 7 grams a day is associated with a 7% risk reduction. I don't think 7 grams is much at all, What's is it? it? It's like a teaspoon, it's teaspoon and a half. Yeah, so just a bit of baked beans or something or a bit of uh, oatmeal with your berries or whatever – and you just like do a significant reduction there. Now let's move on. You've got uh, you can live with only one kidney. You can survive without a spleen. You can survive without a gallbladder. You can even get by without a stomach. In in some cases, he says there's one thing you definitely can't live with, and that's your liver. It's the body's largest internal organ. Yeah, I would have thought 
well, before reading this, I didn't know what the liver did. It was just a thing that in your body. But it turns out it does a lot. There's up to 500 different functions attributed to this organ. First and foremost, it's a bit like a bouncer at the nightclub. It keeps away all the unwanted guests out of your bloodstream. So the blood from your intestines first goes straight to the liver where nutrients and toxins are neutralized and shot out and knocked out of the bloodstream. So it's no surprise then that what you eat does play a critical role in how your liver works and performs in this in this essential role. Yeah, if the liver's the bouncer, you don't want the bouncer to be uh, you know, falling asleep at the gate and just letting anyone in. So you want to keep that liver pretty healthy. This is a big thing here that really um, leads to having a shocking liver is alcohol. He says that about half of alcohol-related deaths are things like you know motor accidents, getting drunk and falling off a bridge and you're in the river and can't get out. But the other half is because of liver disease. Yeah, so literally making the bouncer knocked out at the gate and then because um, you're drinking too much. So drinking too much can lead to the accumulation of fat in the liver, so it's known as fatty liver, which causes inflammation and results in scarring and eventually the, the liver just stops working. It says that heavy alcohol consumption can cause fatty liver in less than three weeks. But there's, a again, a good thing here is if you stop drinking alcohol, it often only takes four to six weeks after stopping drinking to reverse a lot of the damage that you've done to your liver. The good news is, Astro, we've also done a, <laughs> a, another episode on this one. Um, and quitting alcohol is the biggest one you can do or cutting down significantly. And another book by Alan Carr was The Easy Way to Control Your Alcohol. And uh, on YouTube, man, I think it's got 300,000 views. Yeah, it's our biggest YouTube app, isn't it? Season 3, episode 182. I think it's worth going back for a listen to. I'm speaking to both the listener and to myself. It's a good one to listen back to uh, every now and then, I reckon. Yeah, well, I had two stints of one year off alcohol. You've... You've probably had a you had a stint, but you've also cut down dramatically since. Yeah, I reckon in the last four months, I've drunk less than ever. Um, maybe the lingering Alan Carr effect, maybe a bit of Dr. Gregor sneaking in there as well. And uh, it's a, it's definitely a good one. I think it's if you listen to that episode, you're not going to miss alcohol. Yeah. So liver disease, you've got a, a bouncer. You want your bouncer to be strong for your bloodstream. The way to do that is just don't just just be a bit careful with the amount of booze you're consuming, or even better, just stopping it altogether. Now, let's look at digestive cancers. Now, every year, Americans lose you know, more than 5 million years of life from cancers that could be prevented. And a bunch of them, are, you know, there's a few genetic factors that unfortunately you can't control, but most of them, it comes down to diet. Now, it says that three of the most common cancers are digestive tract cancers. So cancers that pop up in the colon, in the rectum, things that pop up in the pancreas, things that pop up in the esophagus. Uh, he says, unfortunately, pancreatic cancer is one of the, it's virtually a death sentence. He says that it, if you get it, you could be like the grandmother in the wheelchair and that could be it. You might have a couple of years, but obviously you want to prevent that. The good news is he said colorectal cancer, whilst a hell of a lot of people can get it, if you catch it early enough, it's also very treatable and very reversible. Yeah, there's a super interesting study which uh, underlies the solution in this one, and it is one which looked at India versus the US. So India's GDP is eight times less that than the US, and 20% live below the the uh, poverty line. So you'd think that the US is in a much better position to handle things like this, but it turns out it's not necessarily the case. Yeah, cancer rates in India are much, much, much lower than the US. If we look at... Um Crazy numbers. Yeah, go through them. If you look at women in the US compared to India, women in the US have 10 times more colorectal cancer than women in India, 17 times more lung cancer, 9 times more endometrial cancer and melanoma, 12 times more kidney cancer, 8 times more bladder cancer, 5 times more breast cancer. 
for blokes in the US have 11 times more colorectal cancer, 23 times more prostate cancer, 14 times more melanoma, 9 times more kidney cancer, 7 times more lung cancer. Mate, this isn't like 10% more, 20% more. This is 1,000% more. The difference is ridiculous. And they've worked out one small thing that could make all the difference. You know, why is there such a discrepancy? And what they've kind of pointed to is this one small thing that isn't going to cost you a hell of a lot. You know, it's not going to add too much to the receipt on the shopping bill at the end of the week. All it is is turmeric, you know, an Indian spice that they use in cooking all the time. It's got this little thing called curcumin, which is this orange colored thing. What he says is very little of the turmeric and the curcumin that you eat gets absorbed into the bloodstream because instead of going into the blood, what it's doing, it's going through your digestive system. And what happens is when that uh, turmeric, it ends up in the colon, it positively benefits the cell lining in your large intestine, and it really prevents cancerous polyps from developing. Yeah, bloody, bloody interesting studies there, Ash Show. So, you know, we've covered a lot of the big factors, the big puppers that are going to take you out and some of the specific things you can do. But regardless of what we've covered and what you can do, there's always a big meta thing you can do to fix things because a healthy diet, which is good for your prostate, good for your breast, good for your heart, good for your liver, good for anything, it's, it's a single diet. And we're going to go through what that is next. Yeah, we've heard a lot of bad shit. You might yeah. have been you know, furiously taking notes, you know, buy more broccoli, eat some turmeric. But we're gonna I wish it was that easy. I'll just have a broccoli and just put turmeric on it and you're done. There's more to it. There's a bit more to it, but we'll bring we'll bring it back. As you say, normally, you know, if you go to the doctor because you've got uh, a specific um, problem, they're gonna give you pills to treat that specific problem. And it may help that problem, it may give you some other side effects. Uh, if you need uh, help with your liver, they'll give you something for your liver, but it's not gonna help your heart. Where he's saying diet. You know, a healthy heart is a healthy liver. The same diet really helps all of these things that we're talking about. So the US government's official dietary guidelines for Americans at the time of when he wrote this book, there's got a chapter, Food Components to Reduce, which lists um, sugars, calories, cholesterol, saturated fat, sodium and trans fat. Um, at the time, there's nine so-called shortfall nutrients of which at least a quarter of the US population isn't reaching an adequate intake. Yeah, so they're saying cut down on all these things. You want to bump up fiber, calcium, magnesium, potassium, vitamin A, C, D, E, K7. But the problem is... It's ridiculous. You, you, know, you can't just like go out there and say, oh, I need to eat some vitamin A uh, or yeah, I need some more magnesium. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to eat the food that contains that thing. So really, those um, directives is, is pretty useless in terms of yeah. how does it actually dictate what do you do. Mate, I've got no trust in any of these sort of systems that are dictated <laughs> from the centralized authorities above ever since I saw... A, Chocolate BM have a four-star health star rating. I'm like, how can I trust anything that comes out of this in future? That's right. You're saying that it's kind of hard to say what's good because it's all in comparison to something um, or what's bad. It's, again, nothing's inherently bad unless it's compared to something else that's worse. What he's saying is he's got a really simple version here. A simple traffic light, green, yellow, red. Obviously, green lights are the things you want to eat a lot of. Yellow, you want to have cut back on and red, you want to try to cut out altogether. So green, simply unprocessed plant foods. Go for your life with them, fruits, vegetables, berries, nuts, and seeds. And then on the yellow light, he says you've got processed plant foods. So things like you know tofu, pasta, bread, they're you know based on plants, but they've gone through some kind of factory to do something to them. But then also you can include in the yellow lights uh, unprocessed animal foods. So you know chicken breast, a steak, you know lamb chops, anything that's just a, a normal hunk of animal meat. And red light is pretty much my breakfast this morning. <laughs> 
So you got bacon, ham, sausages, hot dogs, high fructose, corn syrup, mass-produced veggie burgers, anything like that. Ultra, ultra-processed um, foods, whether it be animal or plant foods. Yeah, that's it. So anything that's ultra-processed, anything, you know, a sausage, you don't just go out to the field and shoot down a cow and a sausage pops out. That's gone through a hell of a lot of processing. There's a lot of bad shit in there that you don't even want to know, is yeah, it, I reckon. Snag and bread. You got <laughs> if you, you don't know how the hell it, yeah, track the supply chain from it, you got no idea, then it's uh, probably not good. That's right. So, you're saying, obviously, you want to minimize anything that's that ultra-processed. In fact, well, you want to really eradicate that as much as possible. You want to minimize the things like the unprocessed animals and the processed plant foods, and you want to maximize the green, just the unprocessed plants. Now, it takes the guidance to one step further with uh, something is involved and it helps us really play the game of ticking off the boxes to make sure we, we're really de-risking all of the ways we could possibly die that are the leading causes of death and he calls it the daily dozen. That's right. The, the traffic lights is a nice system, but you could easily say, okay, unprocessed plant foods, okay, so that's just potatoes, so I'm just going to chow down potatoes all day every day. You're probably not really doing the doing yourself justice, so you need a, a bit more fidelity here, and that's where he's got his his daily dozen. So, firstly, beans. We can do this three times a day. Um, legumes, all which is really all kinds of beans, like soybeans, split peas. Don't know what they are. Chickpeas, lentils. Um, so, while eating a bowl of pea soup or dipping carrots into hummus may not seem like eating beans, it sort of is. That's it. You also on top of your beans, you want some berries. So one serving of either blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, blackberries, cherries, acai berries, cranberries. Um, so you want to add a bit of berries in each day. I'm going to get back on the Nutribullet after this, I think, mate. <laughs> I um, want it hard. Yeah, I, nice. Other fruits, so three serves a day. So for other fruits, serving um, is a medium-sized fruit, a cup of cut-up fruit or a quarter of a cup of tried fruit. So things like... Apples, bananas, apricots, avocados, grapefruits, oranges, lemons, limes, mangoes, nectarines, papaya, pineapple, pears, and peaches. You want a serve of cruciferous vegetables every day. So things like broccoli, cabbage, kale, um, Brussels sprouts, horseradish. You want some of those. On top of the cruciferous vegetables, you also want one serve of other greens. So other things like spinach, Swiss chard, beetroot greens, or you can just add more broccoli as well as part of that, I reckon. You also want on top of your cruciferous vegetables on top of your greens you also want two serves of other vegetables so whether that's asparagus beetroot capsicum carrots corn your favorite mushrooms onions pumpkin you want to really round those out and you got different seeds like flax seeds and all sorts of macadamias chia seeds all the different seeds of the world then you got herbs and spices uh, we've mentioned a lot about turmeric but there's other herbs and spices you throw in which can also have some help like cinnamon chili not cinnamon donuts hash toe, chili powder <laughs> yeah that doesn't count. curry powder <laughs> nutmeg paprika saffron cumin cumin's always been <laughs> i think it's one. cumin oh, is it oh. <laughs> Is it? I never knew that. It's definitely not coming. I think every time I've asked for it, I've I've said it. I've said it saying coming. Anyway, Uh, on top of your those you rattled off the flax seeds and nuts and seeds of herbs and spices, you also want three serves of whole grains. So barley, brown rice, wild rice, oats. He's got popcorn in here. I reckon that's probably not from the movie. That's probably actual popcorn, not like butter and salt and stuff. Um, Quinoa, maybe even a bit of whole wheat pasta as well. Then you got uh, beverages, so five serves a day. You can have um, teas really good, green tea, black tea, um, coffee, and hot chocolate. Hot chocolate's good, eh? Hey? <laughs> you just throw that in. I think he's going back to the big M's. He's going back to the big he, M's. He saw the four star and he <laughs> just chucked it in his daily dozen. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not buying And obviously that. water. You want a hell of a lot of water. Oh. And then the interesting one, he says you want to serve of each day. 
is exercise. Obviously, not a food, but you, he says you either need 40 minutes of kind of vigorous activity, you know, whether it's jogging, active sport, you know, playing, playing tennis or something, or if you're not doing that, then you kind of need 90 minutes of moderate intensity, you know, adding up. You don't need to go for a 90-minute walk, but if you've got a 15-minute walk here and then a 20-minute walk there and then do a little bit of gardening for 25 minutes or something, you need to make up your 90 minutes of moderate activity. Yeah, there's a lot of boxes you need to tick off, it seems, but you really just um, kill as many birds as you can at, with single stones, simple peanut butter sandwich with banana in it. Uh, you checked off four boxes right there. Or if you're having a big salad, you can just go bang, two cups of spinach, uh, a handful of arugula, walnuts, a bit of cumin, chickpeas, <laughs> bread bell pepper, and a s- small tomato. You've done a whole lot there. You got seven boxes ticked off in that one dish. He says, sprinkle some flax seeds on top, add some goji berries, there's another couple of ticks. And then he says, if you eat it whilst you're on the treadmill, <laughs> there's another box ticked as well. So that was probably maybe a bit of a gag. gag. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to know if he's being literal or having a <laughs> gag when he's got things like chocolate milk in here. <laughs> the checklist like this really should help you when you're grocery shopping, um, trying to pick things out of the freezer and what you should eat and you know there might be some days where you you miss it and skip it but that's all right you just just keep it in mind to try and get back on track about understanding what a healthy meal looks like if you want to be someone who just um, uh, walks walks the planet a bit longer than the average that's right he's saying that you don't have to just um, give up everything he says the things that you do regularly every single day they're going to make matter a hell of a lot more than the things you do once off you know it's a grand final day you got mates over for you know pies and sausage rolls and beers it's probably not too bad as long as you're back on the broccoli the next day. You know, it's Christmas Day. Have a bit of ham, have a bit of turkey, whatever you want to have. You know, have a bit of chalky cake. That's fine as long as you're not doing that every single day. At the end of the day, uh, if you eat what we've spoken about in this episode, it's not rocket science. It is the simplest and easiest way to actually de-risk all the biggest things that are going to knock you off. So if you regularly do this, you've got the best diet to help you not to die. Mm-hmm.